Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm continuing on our theme of bringing you some real-world experiences. And today, I've got Nicola Locke with us. So, Nicola, tell us who you are, where you're from, and what sort of things you do. Okay, yeah. So, like you said, I'm Nicola. Um, I'm in the northwest of England in a seaside town uh, called Southport. And uh, my background work-wise, um, I was a medical secretary for 10 years. I uh, worked in the hospitals in Liverpool in psychiatry and for the past 17 years I've been a freelance as a medical transcriptionist and I work mainly for private healthcare based in London and that's sort of taken me more down the orthopaedic and pain management group um, and in my spare time I'm sort of a low carb real food enthusiast. So what got you into low carb in the first place? What got you thinking about nutrition and health and, and perhaps something that you wanted to really deep dive into in the first place? Yeah, I think it was uh, the seed was planted probably about seven years ago. And I'd seen Michael Mosley on a TV show and he was talking about his new book, which was the eight week blood sugar diet book. And he was talking about he'd been diagnosed as pre-diabetic. And I think his father had been diabetic and he, he didn't want to go down the same road. So he'd look to improve his health and try and sort it out through diet rather than through medication. And he, he wrote a book about how he'd done that. Um, and it just interested me because I'd followed him on programs. Um, and I was always one of those that at New Year, I just loved all these diet programs that came out, you know, how you can lose weight and stuff like that. And it fascinated me. So I bought the book and... I just lo loved all the sciencey part about it, about how your body works and what effects certain foods have. Um, and then I think a couple of years down the line, he wrote another book called Clever Guts Diet. That was all about the microbiome. So even though I was interested, I never really did anything with it um, until probably about almost three years ago now when I decided that I needed to lose some weight. I got on the scales after Christmas and thought I've got to do something about this. And I knew how to do it. So I just thought, right, take the bull by the horns and just started on the low carbon. It took a bit of getting used to, but probably by the six month stage, by the summer of 2019, I dropped about, I think I lost 23 pounds. So I, I was never really big, but I was in the overweight category. Uh, BMI wise so it just brought me down into being a healthy weight and being able to maintain it so I sort of come to low carb for the weight loss but then so many other benefits and it's so easy to do and you're never hungry so I've just stayed with it for the last three years. That's great you say you mentioned you come to it for weight loss in the first mm -hmm. place so was it something was weight loss something that potentially followed you around all of your life had you tried other specific diets like calorie counting type of diets had you been a bit of a yo-yo dieter through the best part of your life? Yeah I think I think I'd probably always had quite an unhealthy relationship with body image and things and it you know if I could lose the weight and look slim then of course all my problems would be over um you know I I didn't do any of the sort of like slimming world and things like that and Weight Watchers, but I just did stuff on my own. There was one diet that I did years ago. Um, it was the Rosemary Connolly hip and thigh diet. And I did that when I got married. That was like 1994. And it was really, really low fat, but you could eat lots of sugary things and really calorie restricted. 
and was hungry all the time but lost loads of weight and probably was too thin in the wedding dress I'd lost too much weight and then of course once I got married and goal achieved and I looked slim in a wedding dress it just all went wrong again and yeah it's just it's just been like that sort of like a stone and a half up again and then back down and just starving myself constantly and, and not finding any way to sustain it yeah, that's it. It's the yo-yo diet in effect that a lot of people will find themselves in. And there's lots of people listening, I'm sure, that have been through it or, or even potentially going through it now. But the, the one, one of the things that I picked up on there was that you said about you was going on the Rosemary Connolly and it was low fat as mm. everything was pushed out as low fat. And that's a, it's a big thing that some people still say today well i need to eat low fat so that i can lose fat but obviously finding the low carb approach we know now that, that that's not right was it something that you had to change in your mindset to make sure that you was understanding make sure that you could progress forward with low carb that fat is not really something to be scared of yeah i mean when i when i went low carb originally i downloaded um i think it's called a nutri check app and I used to put everything into it and you can set goals. And I set the goal of lowering my sugar. Um, and but it told you how much fat was in the food, how much protein, how much sugar, how, how many carbs and everything. And um, I think that changed because when I was putting all these foods into it, I was realizing how much sugar was in everything. So I realized that when I was eating low fat foods, they had a higher sugar content. But when I went on the higher fat foods, then they had a lower sugar content um, and, and it amazed me because in the early days I my idea of cooking a meal was if I was doing a spag ball it was brown some mince and chucking a tin of bolognese on it that to me was cooking from scratch and making a curry was you know cooking your chicken and putting a curry sauce on it but when you start putting all the the ingredients into a, a checker and you think oh my god i can't believe there's all this rubbish in here um so i just started going bought all the cookbooks um michael mosley had a cookbook eight week blood sugar diet book and um, there's also um katie caldaisy she does some really good cookbooks um, and another one that's a favorite of mine is um one by monia killian palmer um she's got a couple of books out now i can't remember the name um but yeah, yeah I, th I, th I think a lot of it is you've got to learn to cook and to actually enjoy the cooking and i actually have got a, a new passion now for cooking the food and you know i would never imagine buying a packet of anything now i think that's it i think you nailed it there you've got to really strip it back and and realize that perhaps your home cooking is not really the home cooking that you think it is if you're using sauces or, or mixtures or particular things out of a packet that are already pre-made, then it's not particularly cooking from scratch. If you can break it all down, take it right to the bare minimum, use those real food ingredients like tomatoes for a tomato sauce, actually have the tomatoes instead of having the, the ready-made sauce, then you'd be surprised at firstly how different it tastes, secondly at how much more nutrition's in there for your body. Your body will really enjoy that type of food rather than it all being masked by the sugar. And it's a really good step that you can take to firstly introduce somebody into a new, let's say a new lower carb, real food type of diet. It's just to say to them, let's strip away all that 
processed food, which is your tins, your sauces, your packets, and really go and find the ingredients that are in them and make it yourself. It's a really good start. But I'd be interested to know how you started because there's lots of people that say, oh yeah, I've tried that keto, I've tried that paleo, I've tried those low carb diets that don't work because of whatever situation they get themselves into. So it's interesting to find somebody who's been down the road themselves and potentially come up against all those stumbling blocks. So talk us through how you managed to go from a, a standard British diet of your pastas and your breads and your rices and transition that phase into more lower carb cooking for yourself nutrition. Yeah, it was difficult to begin with because um, a family to cook for. So what I tended to do that if they were having the starchy carbs, then I would just say have bolognese. I would just have an extra portion of bolognese and just have vegetables with it. I mean, I never even thought that I liked cabbage in the past, but buttered cabbage is just lovely. So I'd have that instead of, you know, they were having spaghetti. Um, And I think during lockdown, I mean, I was sort of like, a year into my low carb journey, so to speak. But during lockdown, it gave me a lot more time. Um, and I found myself wanting to study it more. A lot of the um, companies, private healthcare companies that I work for were having to close or give over their premises to the NHS during the pandemic. So that left me working full time. So maybe if I was lucky five hours a week. So I'd got all this time on my hands and I'd spent years collecting books low carb books on all these or you know all the celebrities you know your, your Tim Noakes and Robert Lustig and Asim Malhotra and I'd, I'd bought all these books but never had the time to read them and I thought well I'm just going to throw myself into it I've got all this time um, and then I discovered podcasts and Facebook groups and I think being part of a community helps as well yeah, it's great. It's a, the more you dive into it, the more people you find that have been through the process or are going through the process. And like yourself, when you first started, you was leaning on people to help you, and now you can help others. I know yeah. you've um, you've got yourself um, some kind of nutrition training, haven't you? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I decided that. Well, it started off with the Public Health Collaboration. I'd found their videos on YouTube, and it was their virtual conference in 2020. And there were about four videos presented by ambassadors. And I was just absolutely fascinated with these real people who could just go out there and help. Um, And I thought, you know, that's something I'd really like to do. But I thought, well, who's going to listen to me? Who am I? Because I've never really had any health journey, so to speak. And I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll study a little bit more and see, can I get some more information? So I googled nutrition courses. Well, of course, it's, it's now it's impossible to find something that I wanted to do. And then I found a company called Nutrition Network in South Africa. And as soon as I saw their name, the Noakes Foundation, and that Tim, you know, it was his company, I thought this is the one for me. So I enrolled on their Nutrition Network Advisor course, which is um, involves coaching as well. And as a layperson, once you've done that course, you can, it opens up the other courses. So courses that maybe only practitioners could do. So then I went on and I did an obesity and reversal course and then I did a medical ethics and now I'm currently doing one on neurology and I was just finding it absolutely fascinating. I just can't get enough information. Brilliant. That's great. You can tell you've got a mind ready for the science, Mm. searching it out. So do you put that into practice now then? Can you put that into practice now? Do you do teach or do you run your own groups or anything like that now? 
no not at the moment i mean I've, I've been an ambassador for the public health collaboration for about 13 months and because of lockdown we could never get going get into gp surgeries um i am fortunate that i do go along to like a monthly meeting a gp led meeting as an observer more than anything i've done a few presentations for them um but what i've started doing is um just putting a bit more information out locally whereas I went to the ambassador, uh, public health collaboration of an ambassador's conference, which was the first face-to-face -face one I'd gone to about three weeks ago. And after leaving there, I think it, your enthusiasm, you just want to go for it. So I decided that I would, I would get some information out. So the local gym that I go to, I've been leaving leaflets for people to see, are they interested? There's um, a local pharmacist who's agreed to take some leaflets and sort of my card. And although she won't uh, display in public areas, she does have a consultation room and she said that she will give the leaflets out to people who she thinks would be interested. And there's also um, the barbers that my husband goes to. One of the barbers there is quite enthusiastic, low carb, he's doing carnivore at the moment. And he'd been chatting one day saying that he'd like to sort of run the barbers alongside sort of a fitness and lifestyle kind of thing. So I was like, oh, well, would you like some of my leaflets? Um, and apparently he has been giving them out. That's so great. I'm, it's absolutely I'm just getting great myself out there, yeah. It's absolutely great to hear because it's all those little tiny steps, those little movements that add up to big things. So if everybody can just, anybody who's interested in it like yourself, everyone can just push it onto the next person and just say, have a look at this, turn your ears to this, have a look over here, and then really get the ball rolling. So all these little movements that can help and the PHC are doing a wonderful job of it and all the ambassadors in there doing their own little bit to help. If people want to follow along more, go search out the Public Health Collaboration. They've got the website and the YouTube and everything. There's loads of information on there. And I'm sure it'll grow. I'm sure it'll become... A bigger thing that already is already got the backing of of doctors doing it as well hasn't it so it's it's a really good thing so talk, tell us a little bit about your your daily lifestyle now then what what is it that you do have you have you got yourself a routine have you brought your family on board or is it still just you and have you got your own little schedule that you stick to um i think i probably got my husband on board because i mean if i cook low carb things he'll eat it and he does enjoy it um with working from home i think it's quite easy to to plan about what you're going to eat i tend not to eat first thing in the morning just because i'm not hungry i probably do the um time restricted eating where i'm maybe eating a six hour window but it's not intentional it's just you know i don't have set times so if i'm hungry about one o'clock in the afternoon i'll eat then and then i might be hungry again about seven in an evening um and probably what i eat now is my first meal of the day, um, breakfast, lunch, whatever you want to call it, that would be probably eggs or a soup that I've made. I mean, I, I try to um, cook um, seasonal. So I'll get like a veg box delivered from a local farm every fortnight. And so I'll, I'll always try to cook what's in season. Um, and the evening meal will just be for the family. Um, and I'll just alter it to you know, my, my son is 22. I mean, he, he doesn't want to go low carb. Um, but I've swapped things like, um, I don't cook in vegetable oils anymore. So I'll always cook in animal fat or coconut oil. And I've bought an air fryer. So if he wants chips, I will do them in the air fryer. So they're not cooked in the, in the seed oils. 
um, you know, things like oven chips and things like that. They've got so many nasty oils in them, haven't they? Yeah, and I don't think people realise as well how much oil is in all sorts of different kinds of processed food. It's only when you start looking at ingredients, it's only when you start reading packets that you realise they're in absolutely everything. So let's touch on it a bit. I know you've got the information now. I know you, you know about these seed oils. Let's really dig into it then. Why, why are they so bad for human beings? What's going on there? Well, I don't think they were actually supposed to be for human consumption. I mean, wasn't was the story about... Um, was it Procter and Gamble or something? It was with the seed oils, yeah. And um, they're actually were they to lubricate submarines years ago, and then they decided that they would try and Procter and Gamble bought bought it, I think, the canola oil to make soap out of. But everyone was making their own soap, so they couldn't make any money out of it. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it got into the factories to make for food, but it, it's actually industrial engine oil. Oh, that's awful. right yeah that's it but that's, people that's don't it people down. don't realize yeah it came about like you say right from there it used in the engines and the, they couldn't use it anymore it was becoming too it wouldn't work in the engines not to the extreme that they wanted it to so they had to try and find something else some some other use for it and, and as i say they went down all sorts of different kind of avenues failing at soaps failing at all other things and they thought well let's introduce it into cooking this is the first uh, let's cook some things in it see how that works and Obviously, it just snowballed from there and found its way into all sorts of different kind of foods simply because it was so cheap to manufacture, all about money in the end of the day, so cheap to manufacture. But it really causes our bodies harm because it is proving to be chronically toxic to the human bodily cells. And the, the companies and the marketing get away with putting it in the foods because it's not acutely toxic and also the fact that they say it's in such small amounts it won't matter and if you take one particular food let's say um something off the shelf that has the rapeseed oil or the sunflower oil in the ingredients on the back of it one particular food it's not going to affect you so they get away with it like that the problem comes when you start having that particular food plus another particular food and then another one and another one and before you know it everything you've eaten in a day is is cooked or has these oils in it so your daily intake of it is super sky high and that's what causes the human body the problem um but um yeah carrying on carrying on with that um, there's so many different kind of oils as well and they've come up with so many different kind of names for these oils that it's hard now for the consumer to spot them so what kind of names have you recognised? Oh, well, there's the canola oil, there's the uh, vegetable oil, there's the sunflower oil, which all sounds very nice, doesn't it? And holistic safflower oil. Uh, the rapeseed oil, that used to be the one that I used to buy because I thought that was the best for you. You know, you see all these fields, these lovely yellow fields, and you think, oh, look at that plant, it must be good for you. Um, but it's not really an oil. What they have to do to get the oil out of the seeds it has to be done in a factory like really intensely um and i mean i have heard that things like fish and chip shops they actually send their oil away to be used in machinery yeah after they've used it they do yeah. they? and going back to places like fish and chip shops or mcdonald's whatever they constantly refry in the oil which makes it even worse it oxidizes it even more makes it even worse so using oil again and again and again just releases more and more of the toxins in it it's a chemical process to make it like you say these things should not be in our nutrition that's the big underline here 
if there's one thing that you can do in any part of your nutrition, if you don't want to go low carb, if you really don't want to go real food, let's just say, get those oils out of your nutrition altogether. I I do think people concentrate on sugar all the time, carbohydrates, and don't really think about the oils. I mean, I know that if I speak to family, they're really surprised. What you can't, is that bad for you? And if, if, you know, if my parents will say, oh yeah, we're going to the chippy tonight. And I think, oh no, please don't. When you see the people that you care about eating these things and you know that the damage it does, but you can't get it through to people. You've got to wait until maybe they come to you and ask for the information or you've just got to be ready. I mean, if someone said to me five years ago about it, I'd be like, oh, no, you're talking rubbish. You know, if, you know, if, if I eat butter, then I'm going to die of a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the norm, but now obviously it's changed. And these, I have changed my answer over the years when people have said, um, OK, then, Matthew, so what do I eat? And then I will, I will answer back and I will say, whereas in the past, I, I may be answering with a long, elaborate question of what they could eat, what, they, what would be better real food in their nutrition. I've changed my answer just recently to it's more about what you're not eating than what you are eating. Don't eat seed oils is now my quick answer, because yeah. soon as you say that to somebody, you can see them thinking, oh, that's a different answer. That's something that you know, your general nutrition guru doesn't say to you. And then it maybe hopefully starts a ball rolling, starts a cog turn thinking, what are these seed oils? Why? Why and how? And then it's a, a spiral from there. And we know, like we've found it out. Once you know this knowledge, you, you can't unknow it. <laughs> you can't unlearn it. So uh, I advise anybody who's thinking, who's on the periphery, thinking about it, to go out there and just search out the information you can about these seed oils and get them out of your nutrition. I'm pleased yeah, we touched just, on just that. Just to eat real food. That's it. Yeah. And no, there's this, none uh, of the seeds there, are in there's real this food. Nova classification, I think it's called, of different foods. There's about four different classifications. That, um, I think it starts off as um, things like real food as in you know meat and and eggs and fish and things like that and vegetables that look like they're supposed to look and then you go down to these different categories until you get into the ultra processed food which is all the packaged stuff and one of the things that really shocked me was that infant formula is classed as an ultra processed food well this is coming from me who's got two sons in their 20s and bottle fed them both i mean if i'd known what i know now and I wasn't even encouraged to breastfeed that I was asked to, you know, at the hospital bottle or breastfeed. And I say bottle and there we go. No one even encouraged me. But when somebody said the amount of sugar that's in infant formula yeah, and yeah. it's an ultra processed food, I was like, that's just wrong. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is wrong. Well, uh, the, obviously the best thing for any child is, is mum's milk, you know, yeah, and that should yeah. be pushed more and more. I understand that there's people that can't do it or, or com- can be complications along that road. Um, but then let's get them onto something that's not as processed as <laughs> some of these baby foods, like, like you say. Um, it's, it's a tricky one. It's, it, there's a lot goes on there in that, in that particular market. Um, raw milk has not been publicized as being the safest thing. But if you ask me, I would prefer raw milk over any formula any day. Um, but then that's a different avenue to go down. So as well, you touched on fasting there in your, yeah. what you say you do. So was fasting something that just happened to come to you then? Or did you think, well, lots of people are doing this, so maybe I should be doing it. Or was it something like, like I say, you started eating the real food and it just kind of happened? 
Yeah, I was for years. Um, I, I mean, I remember being at school and my mum saying, you've got to eat your breakfast before you go to school and never really wanting it. So I was never really a breakfast person. I just ate it because I had to when it was all the usual cereals that don't fill you up anyway and toast and everything. And so when I went low carb, I think to begin with, it was because I wasn't really hungry, but also because I was using one of these trackers, which is probably not a good idea to do long term. I was realizing how many calories I was going through a day. And so to reduce calories, you just don't eat as much, do you? But then I thought, well, I'm not even that hungry. Um, and then I think when you're not running off sugars all the time, you come a bit, little bit more fat adapted. And I did find groups where people were doing fasting. And there's one particular Facebook group that I'm in. And they do about every four months, they'll do like a big group fast and anyone can join. And you'll do from maybe 16 hours up to some people want to do five days. And we'll have like a Zoom meeting every night for support and see how everyone's getting on. Um, so I've done about three or four fasts with those. And the last one I did was 72 hours which I never thought I could do, but I just felt amazing. Uh, the first 24 are quite hard, but I think once you push through that, um, you know, it's great and you do actually feel great. What do you find are the biggest benefits from fasting a long time? Um, do you feel that you have more energy even though you're fasting longer? Um, yeah, I do have more energy. Um, I, when I'm fasting, I do feel calm. Um, I don't know why I just sort of feel really serene and calm after, after maybe the first 24 hours. Um, the sleep's usually quite disturbed to begin with, but then that, that clears up as well. And yeah, I just, just feel sort of like, like a brand new person. It, it's as if your body's just getting rid of all the rubbish because you go through this autophagy, which I think kicks in uh, after 24 hours. And the longer you do it, there's like diff different stages. And it's, it's just like, um, I sort of think like a little Pac-Man going around and, and, and eating up all the, the bad cells and you get new cells. Um, yeah, different people are going to get into autophagy at different points, especially yeah. if you exercise a lot as well. You can bring it on a lot sooner. But I want to get across to people that fasting is not something you have to do. Fasting is something that generally just happens naturally, especially when yeah. you're eating real food, especially when you're potentially putting your having your fat fat content of food higher. And then you're satiated for longer, so you don't eat as want to eat as much or as, as readily as you did before. Um, but people who push fasting into three days, four days, five days, it's not the place to start. And for anybody new thinking about, oh, my God, they're fasting for five days. Is that something I should be doing? Then I would say, no, definitely not. You know, you need to work out first about having good nutrition and then only going a few hours without food. And then after that, you can maybe go longer and longer and longer. I'm sure you can tell us that. Um, that, like you said, the, the first 24 hours that you was in felt good. And then after that, you were starting to push your little boundaries. But now you're used to it. Your body is fasting is kind of like a muscle. You get stronger and stronger as you go. Definitely. Um, no. And also you've got to be maybe doing low carb for quite a long time and just eating real food and just getting rid of all the, all the sugars and the carbs because, and I do know people that will jump straight in and try to just, go three four days without any food and you just can't do it if you, your body doesn't know how to run off fat if you're used to running your body from sugar you're just gonna hit a brick wall and not be able to go anymore so it's yeah. not something i would encourage but every so often i do feel that it's good for me 
yeah well that's right that's right it's all about those baby steps especially if you're transitioning like you say from a sugar rich diet or from a processed food diet it's something that you you really have to do later on once you've once you've really got your nutrition set down then you can start thinking about getting into autophagy and all those other kind of yeah it's um, probably a couple of years until i started to, to do fast yeah so how how then um you said that you eat seasonally and locally and organic and things like that so how do you go about um let's say your weekly shopping then do you sort out local farmers and do you really try and bring everything to your local community or do you still potentially shop at the supermarkets i probably do still shop at the supermarkets i don't do sort of the big weekly shop that i used to do i'll maybe go two three times a week and just pick up what i think i need um, but like I said, I do get a vegetable box delivered from a local farm, which is probably only about a mile and a half up the road. And I also um, also get my chicken online as well. There's um, Springfield Poultry, it's called, the, the organic chicken, because um, I won't buy pork or chicken from a supermarket because it's really intensely reared. Whereas um, in, in this country, not so much in America, but in this country, all your beef and your lamb is all grass finished anyway, or, or majority of it's grass fed. I know the lambs have to be, um, but it, you know, even the beef is mostly grass fed, whereas they can intensely farm the pork and the chicken. And so I just won't buy it from the supermarket. And I can understand that people can't always afford to do that, but it's just something that the more I've learned, because I'm quite interested in farming and regenerative farming. And it's just something that it doesn't sit happy with me to buy chicken from the supermarket. I think once you know as well, like yourself, you've dived into the science. And once you know that these monogastric animals like pigs and chickens, they store all the, the bad food that they're eating in their fats. They can't process it like uh, the cows can, the lambs can, they can't ferment it in their stomach. So anything bad that they're eating ends up being on your plate as well. So these intensely found animals like chickens and pigs, they tend to be fed a terrible diet of corn and wheat and soy. So you're trying to avoid all these corn and wheat and soy produce, yet you're eating intensely farmed chicken and, and pork which have been fed these things it then carries on down the food chain to yourself so you've got to think about that think about how your chicken and your, your pork has been reared how what sort of appropriate species appropriate diet has it been given has it been given the free range has it been reared properly so that it is there to give you all the nutrition and all the nutrients and all the vitamins and minerals that it can do or is it being masked by terrible nutrition in the first place they're the great points to to put across and you say um beef cows and lambs are reared properly in this country and most of them are but still some of them are brought in and, and grain finished grain finished if you like so fed oats and grains and things to finish them off so i still think it's important to know your farmer or to find somewhere that really make sure that they are grass-fed because that's where all your nutrition is going to come from. If you're searching out for the best nutritious meat, then that's where it's going to come from if it's a properly raised, properly fed animal. Now, the debate, there is a debate at the moment, and, and a lot that you see about on the news is we need to eat less meat and uh, we should be getting meat out of our diet. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. 
Oh, well, no, that's just uh, <laughs> drives, drives me absolutely mad. I don't think people realise how farming works, that all the monocropping, if we got rid of all the meat and all the cows and all the animals, then there'd be no nutrition in the vegetables. People don't understand that. They just think that you can intensely farm all these vegetables. But, you, you, you know, you, you need um, the meadows with the butterflies and, you know, or the bees pollinating the flowers. Um, and, and as for things like the impossible burgers and things like that, I mean, if you look at the ingredients on the back of those, the rubbish that's in them. So I, I, I don't understand why you would want to get meat out of your diet when it's just the most nutritious thing, anything that comes from an animal. Is that something you do in your own diet? Do you prioritize meat now or, or are you a mixture of meat and veg? Are you, you over in the veg side, which what's what no, I'm probably more the meat side. Yeah, definitely more the meat side. I probably do. I mean, I do have vegetables with every meal, but I would say that the meat part of the meal was was the main part of it. I mean, I don't know if you was uh, similar, but when I was growing up, it was all about let's fill your plate full of the carbohydrates, all the vegetables, mm -hmm. and then we'll have the little bit of the meat on the side. And and trying to change people's perception of no, the meat is the main part of your meal. That's where all your nutrition is going to come from. And then if you want the vegetables, then, then they, they should be the little bits on the side. That's that's how I try and put it across now. Is that something you follow? Yeah, I think, like you said, growing up, it, it was all, everything revolved around the carbohydrates. And I think part of that was because they're cheap, um, where the meat's more expensive. I mean, I think to what people spend on food now, years ago, people were maybe spending half of what they're earning a week on food but i think we've got so used to food being cheap now um and i suppose decent reared meat and decent veg organic vegetables are going to be more expensive um i don't know i just wish people had come around to it really and, and see how important it is yeah, for think... your well-being it's not just your nutrition it just makes you feel good as well i mean i used to have years ago looking back i used to have like skin conditions so i'd have like i had like a patch of psoriasis on my elbow and i just thought oh it's just something that's going to happen my granddad had psoriasis i used to get uh, cracks in the corners of my mouth i went to see a dermatologist they couldn't tell me what was wrong with me i've since found out it's a b vitamin deficiency um you know i used to get um allergic reactions like my eyes would just puff up for no reason and it must have been something i'd eaten so with hindsight i think gosh do you know i've had no skin conditions for the last few years and it makes me think is it down to my nutrition yeah i just wish more people would take that on board and listen and, and a lot of it is to do with your microbiome as well i mean there's so much science now looking into microbiome and everything could be linked back to your gut and linked back to what you're having what's the nutrition all kinds of diseases and and especially chronic diseases and things like that and, and skin conditions like you mentioned can be linked back to nutrition it's just so unfortunate now that doctors are throwing medication at it rather than going down the, the better road of look, let's look at your nutrition first. And then if that don't work, maybe we can look at medication, but it should be a first part of call to look at your nutrition and see what you're eating. And lots of people could do themselves so much better to take that on board and just say, look, instead of me going to see my GP every week, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to make this little change in my nutrition. Now, what, what I get a lot of people coming to me and saying is, um, no, I've tried 
this particular way of nutrition and it's better for me. Let's say it's calorie counting or veganism or vegetarianism, whatever it is. Say it's better for me. And I will say, well, how is it better for you? And why is it better for you? And have you tried everything? And they'll look at me gone out and say, what do you mean have you tried everything? So I believe that if you're somebody listening and you're thinking, yeah, I'm doing this Slimming World Weight Watchers, it's the best thing for me then have you potentially tried carnivore? Have you tried veganism? Have you tried being a vegetarian? Did you go down a row where you tried every single diet going, not every single one, but maybe dabbled in, in a few different kind of things to find out where you are now? Well, definitely not down the vegetarian route because that's never really been my thing. But I think just if there was any fad diets that came out, like I said, if it, a lot of celebrity diets that had come out in January and usually I'd have a book with it as well and I'd buy the book and then of course I'd, I'd, I'd have a quick flick through it and I'd never cook any recipes out of it. Um, but I think I was always for years was brainwashed by the low fat. Um, I don't know. It's, I, I just found that reading the books and listening to podcasts has just had such an impact on me and just, you just want to tell everybody it's like oh my god this has been happening for years and nobody told us about it yeah it's all been in the marketing into it. it's kind yeah. of like a, a brainwash scenario whereas it's taken over the world but for the wrong reasons in the wrong way and this is what i'm worried about at the moment when they're pushing this uh, new meatless agenda let's stop eating meat i mean i fear for the younger generation who's coming up lots of them want to be vegans lots of them want to be vegetarians because they're not educated properly in the science, not educated properly how, like you said earlier, how the farms work. We need the animals to make it sustainable. Um, they're just following on with the marketing, following on with the media. What's the media saying? And if we can just cut that part out, follow on with the science, like you say, that's where all the uh, better advice is. And when you look especially into meat, this is what we've been eating as human beings for since we've been evolved hundreds of thousands of years meat has been at the center of our evolution so we need to keep it there we need to make sure that everybody knows to eat meat for health and that's the that's really the, the bottom line there but i want you to get across to our audience and to, to help people understand that at the moment they maybe think they're eating healthy lots of people come to me and say oh i haven't got a bad diet my, my diet is fine um, but what are the things in their diet that you could see out of maybe your own nutrition or that you've seen in other people's nutrition that they think, oh, this is healthy, so I'm going to continue down this road. And then you could say, well, if you just make this little tweak here or just make this little change here, it becomes more healthier. What are the things that you could say to people to turn their smarter choices into better choices? Uh, one of the main things that I do say to people is about reading the labels, um, not so much the front of the labels, because a lot of them will say, oh, low fat or healthy grains and, you know, this is better for you, you know, no trans fats and this, that and the other. What you need to do is to turn it over and don't look at the traffic lights. If it says it's a green for sugar, if you turn it over and you look how much carbohydrates in it, it's, it's absolutely shocking. Um, and also when you go shopping shop on the periphery of the supermarket so if you actually think of 
any supermarket you go into. I mean, I think of like my local Morrison's. So I walk into Morrison's and I'm straight into the fruit and veg section and I've got the fishmongers on the left and I carry on round and we've got the butchers and we've got the deli and then we've got all, all the meat and um, cheeses and everything and, and, the, and the freezer department, uh, all the freezer departments. Uh, and all the processed food is in the middle aisles. So really you don't even need to go there, just stay on the periphery of the supermarket. And if you realize that these food companies will actually pay to get their food put on the end of an aisle so that you can see it. So, so that, you know, the very end aisles by the checkouts and things like that, where you're stood, they will actually pay to get those foods put there. Um, you've just got to be aware of the way they get you with the advertising. I mean, there's, yeah, there's Robert Lustig. He's got this brilliant book called um, Metabolical. And he talks about things like don't be going shopping when you're hungry. And I think one of his uh, quotes is um, if sugar is one of the top three ingredients, it's a dessert, even if it says it's not a dessert and things like that. And, and when you walk down um, the bread and the cereal aisles, you don't even think of it as being food. It's just not food. That's so, right. yeah, I would just tell people to concentrate on what looks like food and um, even sort of tinned food tin food's all right tin tuna tin tomatoes you open the tin it looks like what it's supposed to look like it looks like a piece of fish it looks like a tomato that's right yeah that's right and but always check those ingredients like you say even sometimes the ones you mentioned tin tomatoes and tinned fish in some flour oil some of them so mm. just have a be careful there as well just check those ingredients all the time and you may find anybody starting out with this i did and i'm sure you did you may find that your shopping takes you twice as long three times as long once you start looking at ingredients and things and people are looking at you a bit go out why have you been stood there for five minutes looking at these ingredients but it's that learning process that really helps you the next time you go you won't pick up that packet anymore because you know what it says on the back so it's all about educating yourself and learning and, and yeah, it's going to take you. I tell you what, the first time you go shopping, after listening to this, after listening to what Nicola says, check those ingredients and then go shopping tomorrow at the weekend, whenever it is, go check out those ingredients and then you'll be firstly shocked. Secondly, the next time you go will be so much quicker <laughs> because yeah. you'll have learned. And so also much. they do say that if there's any ingredients that you don't recognize, you can't pronounce, if it's things that you wouldn't have in your kitchen at home, just don't buy it, put it back. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. All kinds of chemicals now are in foods out there, sodium, mate, bousse and all sorts of things. So, but a question I wanted to ask you is, it's a little bit controversial. You can answer it however you want. You can go as long or as short as you like. It's keto or real food? Oh, I would just say real food. Um, I understand why people do keto, and I think it's maybe a bit of a buzzword at the moment, keto. Um, but I, I would say I was more sort of like the low-carb, healthy-fat camp. Um, I think keto can be a little bit extreme. I mean, there are Facebook groups. Fortunately, I'm not a member of any of them that, that will push this, and they'll say, no, that's wrong. You're not allowed to have that. It's not what you can and can't have. Um, it's just what works for you. I mean, some people work brilliantly on keto, but I do think it's a massive buzzword. And the thing that concerns me about it at the moment is I think that the food companies have come around to this. I mean, I, I've noticed that Michael Mosley, who I'm a massive fan of, has got a keto book coming out, the keto diet book. And I do think that the likes of the 
food manufacturers and the uh, slimming clubs are going to jump on this keto thing. Um, so I do think if you're trying to do low carb or keto, you've just got to keep it to the real food because you can buy breads now that say keto on the packet, but they're really not. Yeah, that's an absolutely great answer because even if you are doing keto, even if you're doing, let's say, veganism for a short spell until you figure out it's potentially not great, but even if you are doing whatever kind of diet you want to give it a name for, then you have to have it as a real food diet. You can do paleo, but it's got to be real food paleo. You can do keto, but it's got to be real food keto. Like you say, there's so many keto products out there now, and you could actually be keto but you could still be on a processed food keto diet and a processed food keto diet is not helping anybody because no, it's all... like with a, a, a vegan diet is biscuits and crisps are vegan. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You could, you could be, you could say you're vegan and you could eat all sorts of kind of things which aren't real food. That's right. Um, but yeah, any diet you choose, any, anybody who wants to go down any road of any nutrition, I'll say, go for it, but make sure it's a real food nutrition. And then your body, I'm a big fan of, if you've heard me speak on this podcast before, I'm a big fan of listening to your body and whatever you're doing, if you're eating real food, whatever kind of real food it is, whether it's more keto based, carnivore based, veganism based, whatever kind of real food it is your body will tell you what it wants. It will search out for those vitamins, those minerals, those essential amino acids that it really craves. And lots of people do get cravings on keto, on carnivore, on paleo. I know people who say, especially on carnivore, people say, oh my God, I just want a bit of chocolate. And once you explain to them that, it's your body's way of saying you're missing certain minerals like magnesium. So let's make sure you're getting that magnesium in there. Let's add in a little bit of dark chocolate or add in some. Well, the interesting thing about that was that I've just done a trial, a two week trial of a continuous glucose monitor. Um, I think because I work with patients with diabetes and with not being a diabetic, I thought it was important that I understood about the blood sugars and what a normal blood sugar is. Um, and so I, I sort of did a little experiment and I did chuck a few things in. I think, well, I'll just eat that and see what happens. Things that I wouldn't normally eat. And I do like 85% dark chocolate. And I had a couple of cubes of that. And, you know, it didn't even move my blood sugar one bit. It was really, really weird. Um, the only thing that had a massive impact was I'd got this veg box delivered from this local farm. And as a free gift, they gave me um, a packet of medjool dates. Okay. And I thought, oh, wonder what they're like. So I tried one and my blood sugar shot up and immediately straight back down. I was like, wow. And so it was a really interesting experiment to see what it did to my body and to, and to understand other people and what, what the foods do to them. It was great. Yeah. And I wish everybody could do one because they are so enlightening and they really do open your eyes into what's going on within your body and within all your blood sugars. And you mentioned that the 85% dark chocolate didn't move your needle. And that's yeah. probably because um, you've got such a solid nutrition anyway. Somebody who's on uh, carbohydrate-rich nutrition, it may move, an 80, even an 85% dark chocolate may move that particular blood glucose up and down a little bit. But this is where um, I get a little bit lost in the nuance with athletes because athletes tend to be more fat adapted than what you realize and even certain things like bananas won't move the needle 
with some particular athletes and that's where everything gets a little bit cloudy but you've got to understand that wherever you are in this journey if you are an athlete on real food or if you're a beginner just starting off you've got to understand where you are and how well adapted your body is at metabolizing such things as sugars and fats because if you are a really good if you if you've got a metabolic flexibility if you're really good at metabolizing sugars and fats then in general real food whatever form it comes in some kind of food matrix like honey or bananas or dates as you mentioned then they may not move your needle but other things that you might think won't move your needle like dark chocolate may do so it would be really interesting if the whole population if these things were available for the whole population to look at because everybody's graph is going to be a little bit different and each little little nuance of food's going to move it for certain people and then you can adapt your nutrition that way i mean i'm pleased you've used one and i'm pleased you found out all the little things that go on there eye-opening really is <laughs> yeah eye-opening yeah so um it's been absolutely great to talk to you nicola i want you to tell people what they could do tomorrow right they're just starting off so what can they do tomorrow that they wasn't doing today which will help them understand nutrition better oh gosh i don't know stumped me there <laughs> what, what was what was one of the first things that you did was it go out and find some research or was it actually right i'm getting rid of these seed oils i'm getting rid of the sugars i'm going to look into what what real food actually is because we say real food a lot but what is real food yeah i, I think a massive thing is getting the support so that you're not doing this on your own um because you will get a lot of pushback from family. I mean, I still get it now. Like I said before, people that you care about, you can see what they're doing to the bodies. Um, they seem to think that what I'm eating is wrong, but I'm doing what's best for me. Um, so yeah, you've just got to do what you think's best for you. And just eat real food. Just try not to eat anything that's packaged. Um, or even just slowly wean it out. So if you're the kind of person you think, I can't give up my bread, I can't give up my pasta and my rice, just have you know have a smaller amount don't have such a big bowl of pasta just put a bit more meat on it and just wean yourself off and eventually i think you'll realize that if you're up in your protein and your fat content then you're not really going to be very hungry you don't need that garlic bread with the pasta give the garlic bread up <laughs> that's right yeah just phase it out gently and i think you'll find like you alluded to there once you start introducing more of the real foods and the cravings for those sugars and carbs tend to disappear anyway. Um, but going, just going on from that a little bit, I just wanted to say to people that you don't have to be perfect. Everybody comes into this and everybody thinks, oh, if I'm changing my nutrition, it's got to be an overall, I've got to be 100% perfect. I'm sure you have things, maybe you could tell us, do you have those little 5 or 10% things that you, you go to that you know are, uh, let's say, suboptimal at times? Um. If, if there's things in the house that people bring in, then sometimes I might be tempted. So my son brought in a huge bar of dairy milk and took half it upstairs to his room and left the other half in the fridge. And I was like, oh, it's there. Every time I look at the fridge, it's looking at me. So I had some and, you know, it was horrible. It was really horrible. I was like, oh, I, I, I can't even. It's, it didn't even taste sweet. It just tasted sickly. It was horrible. Um, I do have a bit of a problem, I've got to say, um, I used to have like big bags, bags of mixed nuts that I used to snack on, 
I find I can probably overdo them and eat too many. Same with cheese and things like that. So I, I tend not to have like big bags of nuts in the house. I'll just have a few that I can sprinkle over some yogurt. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think with Christmas is a problem. And I know at Christmas, I'm probably going to eat things that I wouldn't normally eat. And a lot of it is peer pressure that you just think, do you know what? Sometimes it's easy to just say, oh, we'll have a little bit. Um, because otherwise you're being miserable and spoiling it for everybody else if you refuse the cake, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate that that's pushed upon you. But uh, I always say if you've got 90% of your nutrition solid, yeah. if you're there at home cooking your own meals, making sure that you're doing what you want to do, then that little 5%, that party at Christmas, whatever, is not going to affect you might affect you in the short term, just make you feel not so great, but it's not going to affect your overall metabolic flexibility. It's not going to affect your metabolism in the long run. You're just back on the real food tomorrow, so you'll be absolutely fine. Still got to enjoy your life. You still got to out there. You still got to have a lifestyle. Just make sure that you know, you've nailed down 90% of, of it so that you can, you, so that you can enjoy that other little 5% at, at the end. Yeah, I think when you eat out as well, you can't control what you eat when you eat out so you just do the best you can you you know I, I tend to just order a steak and and swap the chips or whatever out for salad but you don't know what they've cooked your steak and you don't know what they're putting any salad dressing on so you can become a little bit paranoid about it and obsessed but if, if it's not within your control and you're not cooking it what can you do um but it's nice to eat out it's nice to go out and socialize with people and that's all part of it isn't it the sort of the lifestyle and the well-being and everything feeling good that's it yeah just do the best you can do the best you can do if you're if you know in your own mind you're doing the best you can the best you can do every single day then you've already ticked that box and you can move on so that's great so it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you nicola thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and sharing your experience it's been you're a, welcome thank been really, you really good can, can you do you encourage people to follow along with you to share your thoughts on twitter facebook instagram anything like that um yeah i mean i'm i'm, I'm on facebook um, i think you can find me on twitter nicola loco seven and instagram I, I don't post that many pictures just food really and nature pictures so that's um um, Nicola Locke underscore LCHF. That's great. Thank you very much for today, Nicola. Okay, bye. Nicola really brings it into the real world with her trip round Morrison's for you and talks always about real food. Check those nutritional packets if you're still buying anything in a packet and realise all those ingredients that you don't recognise or that are basically just chemicals. Stop eating chemicals and oils. Let's get onto those real foods. Now, I've got some exciting guests coming up for you, but if there is anybody that you think would be great on the podcast or somebody that you really want to hear from, then let me know, and I'll contact them and see if we can get them on. I want to try and talk to as many people as I possibly can. It's great that people are contacting me wanting to come on my podcast. It's brilliant, but I really want to send out the feelers and get some people on the podcast that maybe you know, maybe you know of in the nutrition space. doesn't have to be low carb, doesn't have to be uh, real food. Just I'd, I'd love to talk to anybody. So if there's anybody you know of or anybody you really want to hear from, let me know and we'll get them on the podcast. But 
Until then, I'd really appreciate a rate and a review if you can spare the time to rate the podcast, review the podcast. It sends it out to everybody searching for new podcasts and it'd be great to get more and more listeners all the time. For all my links, go to www.humannutritionlifestyle.com. All my social media links are on there. Come and check us out, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or across the lot. So come and just join in. But if you want anything in particular for yourself, a nutrition plan, or just a consultation, just to chat, just to help you refine your nutrition, then be in touch. You can book particular services that you want through the website, go to the shop or go to the services page, pick something that you think is relevant to you. Or if you don't know what's relevant to you, be in touch with me, just send me an email and we can talk through there. Until next time, be happy, be healthy, be strong and thrive. 